Good morning, Well Community Church. It is good to be with you all again for our third installment in this series of Ordinary Awesome. Um, you know what, I'm not going to make this work. I need to get my glasses. I thought I was going to be able to do that, but I'm not. I am. It's terrible. We are now in the section uh, where um, in our anchored text, if you remember, in Acts 2.42, at the end of that, it talks about the Lord adding to their number. Um, And obviously, what's focused on in that part of the text is the number being added. uh, But what's being highlighted here in this text is and the Lord doing the adding and then we ask the question what does that mean for us in our faithfulness um, in his adding sorry I'm going through some technical difficulties here when we think about sharing the gospel Uh, Sometimes uh, we can look at sharing the gospel or evangelism as the culmination of this grand moment of relationships we have with people. It probably doesn't even mark every relationship we have with non-believers, if we're honest about it. But then there's that special moment where we actually share the gospel with someone, and we work ourselves up, we think about it, we talk to people about it and everything else. Um, And, you know, that's that's not ridicule. It's just a reality. Uh, Sharing the gospel in the life of a Christian should actually be quite ordinary. Um, There's literally nothing else that matters. Literally, nothing else matters. Doesn't mean that that's the only thing you have to talk about, you're a bad Christian if you don't talk about it. When we talk about things that matter, I was just talking to a gentleman after the first sermon and you know, he was telling me about a hard time he's having with a friend of his and sharing the gospel. Uh, And I said, hey, just think about it that way. If you guys, go off and have a great relationship and you both get incredible jobs and have incredible families and you go off and you know life is incredible when Jesus cracks the sky will any of that matter none of it will we think about our existence here in this broken world and we can sometimes forget in fact that in this broken world uh, the gospel is our weapon there's a war going on in spiritual. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12 that, hey, this flesh and blood thing that you guys are engaged in thinking about is his fault, her fault, that fault. It's actually spiritual. And there are defensive mechanisms for the Christian. Stay away from this. Stay in the Lord in this. Be reminded of these things. But then there's offensive. The weapon we use. It's the gospel. The scriptures. We need to be reminded of that. And this passage reminds us of that. As a matter of fact, this passage actually shows us what obedience looks like in the fight. As Paul tells his story, let me, I'm going to try to close this out real quick and then reopen it. All right, here we go. And so when we come to sharing the gospel, there's a lot of things that we can possibly accept about ourselves. That shouldn't be, it's not true. I know a lot of us have heard about the different jokes of Christians. We watch TV. We see the way Christians are portrayed on TV. 
We see them asking people, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? We even sometimes joke about that. As if the question in itself is sharing the gospel. And then you have even more harsh portrayals of Christians. One of my favorite shows is The Office. And Angela is probably the quintessential TV portrayal of a Christian. A judgmental hypocrite nobody wants to be in relationship with. Who takes every opportunity to self-righteously judge someone. Meanwhile, in the shadows, she's just as broken and evil. And would never let anyone know it. And I think some of the reasons we have a hard time sharing the gospel is because we can accept those portrayals of us. And so we've deemed that being a Christian outwardly or explicitly through our words is mean, maybe, because that's what the world says. Maybe we can have shame, be ashamed. That's why it's so significant that Paul says, look, this message of mine in his letter to the Romans, it's, it's not mine. It's God's power. I have no shame of it. It's the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And so this is what the zeal of sharing the gospel comes from, our love for Jesus and even recognizing the power of the gospel in our own lives. Then you start to see yourself even living in the truth of the gospel, speaking the truth of the gospel. But then there are some other roadblocks. We're a very intellectual culture, intellectual society. And there are a lot of people who have come up with some lofty arguments against Christianity. And some of you may believe that, hey, look, I need to be able to tackle this argument in order to share the gospel. I'm telling you, it's not true. It's not true. People are coming up with different objections to the universe. There's a multiverse or the genetic makeup of this and geneticists have seen these things. And it's like, I have to read 10 million books in order to share good news with someone. No, you don't actually. The way we handle that is actually more like this. If I have this water, Matt, could you do me a solid and come up here? If I have this water, I know it's water. I know it's wet, but Paul tells us that it's powerful. Then he also says it has nothing to do with me. It's not my power. The water itself is powerful. I'm just a holder of it, a wielder of it, a distributor of it. Does it make sense for me to stand here and engage Matt in an argument to try to make him take it from me and drink it or put it on himself? Matt, do you have any arguments about this water and why you don't need it? I don't like red cups, man. I don't. Oh. Dang, I knew you were going to do that because I saw you do it for a service. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I can stand there and I can engage him and talk about water. We can actually break down its molecular makeup and everything else. But I'm going to throw it on him. I don't, I don't need him to take it from me. Thus is the same for the gospel. You can engage in those conversations, especially if you're equipped to, but share the gospel. Share the gospel as much and as often as you can. That's the power. So you may be asking yourself, well, how do I do that? Because I don't really know how to just, you know, throw it on someone. Well, now we're talking about being equipped and growing in the knowledge of the scriptures, right? So we're going to look at this passage in Acts 22. Because we're going to see some things here. And as we're looking in Acts 22, 1 through 16, 
I want you to ask yourself these questions. Do you want zeal for the gospel in your own life? Do you see those individuals who are just so bold about proclaiming the gospel and you say, man, I want that? Do you want to recognize the beauty of the gospel in your own life? Have you lived through life and you understand in an intellectual sense all the truths about Scripture and who's, who God is, but you never sit at the ordinary things in your life and stand in awe? I try to do that often. There are two things I enjoy about, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I can both enjoy and not enjoy Brandon B.C. when I reflect on him. I don't enjoy it because it's just, it's so cringy and it makes me angry when I think about who he was. I do enjoy reflecting on him now because it only makes me think about the man I've been transformed to through Christ. Seeing the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of people who were faithful in sharing the gospel with me. We've all heard Christian testimonies possibly, maybe most of us, Christian testimonies. And people's names are in those testimonies. The hero of the testimony is Jesus, but my God, how beautiful it is that people's names are a part of those testimonies. Wouldn't it be awesome if this summer your name was a part of the testimony of a potential brother and sister because of your faithfulness, that you now call them brother and sister because of your faithfulness? Acts 22, in this second telling of Paul's uh, conversion, this is not just a story that Luke is sharing like he shared in Acts 9. It opens up with saying that Paul is making a defense. This is important. The Greek word apologia comes from, that's where we get our word apologetics. If you're not familiar with apologetics, it's a defense. The defense of the Christian faith. Some of us may think that, hey, that's for the special Christians. The special Christians, are, they do that stuff. William Lane Craig, you know, Frank Turek, I don't know if you're familiar with these names. They go to college campuses. They make a defense. And that's what the special Christians do. I mean, yeah, the special Christians go to Christian campuses and college campuses and do things at a higher level. But every single Christian makes a defense for the faith. Should you be living a godly life, there's going to be people in this foreign world who look at you and say, why are you doing that? And there's your defense. 1 Peter 3.15, always having a reason for the hope that's in you. Why? Because of your reverence for Christ in your heart. He makes this defense. And then in his defense, he's standing charged to not being a Jew-Jew. You're doing some weird stuff here, man. It, you seem like one of these Hellenistic Jews that's been affected by the culture, and you're not really one of us. And Paul is saying, whoa, hold up, wait, 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 wait. I persecuted this way to the death. Let me try to get these for you. Here we go. He says in verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. There's something significant about this first argument he makes. 
This, this thing called the way. He didn't say, I persecuted Christians. I persecuted these heretics, these pagans, whatever. I persecuted this way. One quick thing that this tells us about this, that Jewish and Christian beliefs have the same end goal, to dwell face-to-face with Yahweh. What Paul implies here is that Christianity is the way in doing that. The Jewish belief is that the way comes through their own hands and the different sacrificial systems and the law and righteousness through your own works and so whatever it is, and it's false. This is a way versus the way that Paul is saying, I persecuted this way, the way. He's identifying Christians as a pathway rather than a group or an entity. That's very interesting. Because he's talking to religious people who know God, know of his existence. He's telling them, I I know you're thinking that I'm crazy and that I don't know exactly how you guys feel or I'm not hip to the roots of Israel and everything else, but look, I'm a Jew. I'm born in Tarsus of Kilkia, but I was brought up in this city, educated by the head honcho. You guys know him. That was my teacher, and he taught me in the manner of the law. Being zealous for God as all of you are this day. And that's a defense he makes because now he seems to be a one walking along the path of this way, the way. And this way is greater than every other ways. So is the case today. If you think about Christianity amongst every other religion, every other religion and anything else that you may not have even heard about provides a way to God. Variables may change. Definition of who God is, God may be yourself. God may be happiness. God may be comfort, peace, whatever it is. Or it may be just some deity that's been acknowledged. And they provide a way close to it. Even those who admit that their God is close to the biblical God, they provide a way to get close to God. And Christianity is exclusive. Not in that people have been excluded from coming to Christ. He invites everyone to him. But the ways that people have invented to get to him have been excluded. There is no other way. Jesus himself says that I am the way to God. I am the life found in God. I'm the truth about God. There is no other way. That's the exclusivity of Christianity. That's why it's exclusive. There are a lot of different beliefs that try to appease everyone and they just don't make sense to say, hey, look, we all may have different ways and different paths, but they all lead to God. It's called perennialism. It can't be true. And Paul is saying, hey, look, you might think I'm crazy because I'm living this way, but I'm going to give you some evidence to let you know that I'm not crazy. I actually understand where you guys are coming from. He does this by speaking in Hebrew, speaks in Aramaic. He even connects the dots a little bit further as he talks about Lord, 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 five times. He uses Adonai, Adonai, a word that these Jews definitely would have been familiar with. 
Yahweh's, Adonai, Lord. But Paul's referring to Jesus. The same one. I once was a persecutor of this way to God. Now, I'm a journeyman of this way. And Paul is knowledgeable enough to talk about the scriptures in such a way where it connects to the ones he's talking to. Man, that's the same gift that we have been given as human beings to relate through the gospel. We have to grow in it. We have to come wise. That's actually why you're here, to be equipped for the work of ministry. That's what it is. To be able to see someone in a specific place and see how the gospel is the deepest need they have right now and communicate it. I've spent a lot of time in cigar lounges. And uh, it's like a local watering hole. You meet a lot of different people. And this month, I've met a man named Peter who uh, saw me reading a book, and we ended up talking about race relations in the country. And uh, he's a white man. And he told me, he said, I'd like to believe that I'm a good person. I want to be good. We had common ground. He's not a Christian. He said he believes that there's a higher power, just seeing the way the world is designed and everything else. Romans 1, God's divine attributes have clearly perceived. But uh, he sees the way the world is designed. He's like, I can't bring myself to say there is no God. So there's common ground there. It's a bit different. But he says, I want to believe I'm a good person, and I would like to do good things because I want to be a good person. And in the context of race relations, he says, I want to know what my contribution to the evils of black injustice has been. Now, knowing that even if I answered that question fantastically and thoroughly, uh, it would have been insufficient regarding his desire to be good. So I asked him, I said, well, you may be on the right track, Peter, but here's something you need to ponder. This higher power that you say exists, what's your contribution to evil against him in general? There's been more we talked about because what is evil in and of itself? Where does this idea of evil come from? What do you mean evil? Now, whatever you just contribute to this evil, what have you done to fix it? Do you feel like it's fixed? So I told him, I said, Peter, this desire to be good, it's a good one, but you won't be it. You can't be it. And now the conversation's about Jesus. The answer that he deeply needs because he wants to be good. We have zeal. And the zeal we have for the gospel should be behind truth. And the truth is that Jesus is the way. That's where the zeal comes from. There's no self-righteousness in saying Jesus is the way because you didn't do anything to be a person placed on that way. We can have zeal that he's the way and there is no other. But now when we think about Jesus, when he's born in the hearts of a dead person, When Jesus is born into the hearts of a sinner, he has never been born into the heart of a sinner and said, okay, now you take it from here. Go on. No, he's born into the heart of a sinner and he declares you his, every aspect of you. 
mine. Your deeds, your thoughts, your purpose. It's mine. That's why the term Lord is fitting. That's what makes it so fitting. Because he is ruler and reigns over us. And we see that in this passage here in Acts 22. <laughs> we, we see that uh, in this obedience, uh, Paul in verse 10. He is one who is very zealous over the law and righteousness, and he is transformed through this encounter he has with Jesus. And Jesus, when he blinds him and gives him, uh, before he even gives him instruction, Paul says in verse 10, What shall I do, Lord? I think it was Tim Keller that said that when we come to Christ and know that he is Lord, we lay our sword at his feet and say, command me. Obedience. What shall I do, Lord, before any instruction is ever given? That's obedience with eagerness. If you've ever heard Paul talk about fear and trembling, that's reverence and eagerness, angst, excitement to serve. It's not like somebody shaking. It's the same angst you get when you're about to do something exciting or you have a vacation coming up or whatever. We have that a hundredfold in serving the Lord. Because he's Lord. Today, it seemed that instead of this being the way, we are a group, Christians. We're an entity, just another entity amongst many. And Jesus is just the mascot on the banner. We invoke his name for doing whatever we'd like, believing whatever we'd like to believe. When really, if he's Lord, the heart is always asking, what shall I do, Lord? But then we see there's another name mentioned in this testimony, in this a defense that Paul is making, Ananias. Ananias is this man who was used by God to come to Paul, or Saul at the time. And you get the uh, context of this in Acts 9, of who Ananias is. But God is telling Ananias in Acts 9, hey, there's this guy named Saul. He's from Tarsus. I want you to go to him. He's mine now. And Ananias is like, well, wait, Saul from Tarsus? I know that name. That name is, is that the, like, that's, he's a Christian killer. This is dangerous, Lord. But then the, the narrative goes this way. So Ananias departed and entered to the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened between Ananias' fear and what Luke is writing right here? Obedience with trust. We have a lot of unknowns, a lot of fears. Having them doesn't make you less of a Christian. Trusting your father is what showcases your relationship with him. Obedience and trust. Sometimes we use fear or the unknown as a reason not to obey. But I'm telling you, it's good, whatever he has for you. It's good. Obedience with eagerness we see from Paul. What shall I do, Lord? Obedience with trust we see from Ananias. Hey, look, he's a Christian killer, but all right, I'm going to go. 
And so we see in our passage here in Acts 22, it says, And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Here we have Paul, the majority author of the New Testament, mentioning a name in his testimony. How beautiful is that? We think about evangelism. Sometimes we can think of it as like this Christian task that's just overbearing. It can be overbearing. We think of it as a box to check. And I'm not, this is not just on the individual. I think culturally we've done this. Culturally, some of you may have been at churches where you have felt like the church is making a demand on how many people you share the gospel with, bringing back a report. Meanwhile, our desire to share the gospel should be a burden for the one who's lost, a broken heart for the one who doesn't know the Lord the way you do, A broken heart for the one who's running away from a love they've never known and chasing after something that's inevitably going to disappoint them and fail them. It's a burden to carry. We can either see sharing the gospel as this laborious task or we can completely dismiss with it and say, look, I don't need to speak the gospel. I just have to live it and love people. Um, and I'm going to have a hard time finding that in the scriptures somewhere. It's just not there. The, the exact opposite is actually there. I'm sure some of you are familiar with the term or that phrase, uh, always be preaching the gospel, sometimes speak it with words. Some of you may be familiar with that. The actual original sentiment of that I, I like The original sentiment is to say, hey, don't be a Christian who's always preaching at people and has no desire to live out what you preach. That's the original sentiment. But now that phrase is being used to say, look, I don't have to talk about this. I can just live it. And I stand here as one who used to believe that, and the Lord really grew me out of it. And because I lived for people, I loved them, I treated them well, and they slandered and hated me as a response. See, one desire is in live out the gospel, is in protection, self-protection, because we're in fear of what speaking the name of Christ could bring. Maybe it could damage my relationship, maybe they'll be mad at me. eagerness and trust because he's Lord. Seeing the, sharing the gospel in either of those ways is a lacking of belief in it in some way. If you think it's merely a box to check to make you more Christian or if you think it's insignificant where I don't really need to talk about it, you're lacking a belief in it truly. Paul says it's the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. For everyone. Everyone. We pray to the Lord for a broken heart. 
that he would send us toward those who don't know him. Whether you're like an Ananias where it's like, huh, I don't know, this seems kind of awkward, it's scary. You trust him and you move forward. Ananias is mentioned in this passage, but he's not the star. As a matter of fact, this entire passage isn't even about Ananias. I could have preached a sermon about how beautiful it is that Ananias, but my sermon is not about Ananias. No sermon is centered on another human being besides Christ. At least it shouldn't be. But he's mentioned as one used by Christ. Today, in the age where we can get a lot of people to see us on screen, we can do some things, you know, people can see us. There's something that ends up trickling into the Christian walk where we live out as outposts of the kingdom. We are pillars of salt and truth and we are loving people. We're sharing the gospel, but we aren't satisfied unless people know we're doing it. Living for Christ in the shadows is not good enough for us. The pleasure of the Father is not good enough for us. And here you have Ananias living in the shadows. Paul is all over the New Testament. And he sits here in this little speck of faithfulness on this page. My zeal for the gospel is a result of people like this. The zeal I have for the gospel and the desire to share the gospel, and no matter what the conversation is about, is because people were bold and faithful enough to share it with me. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't know them. I'm talking about strangers. In high school, I went to Ocean City for senior week for very unchristian purposes. And I ran into a man in the bathroom. And he decided to ask me a number of questions about my weekend that ended with, and what happens next? And what happens next? And it was very annoying. The conversation ended with me and my sarcasm telling, me about, telling him about my whole life. And I told him then I'm going to die. Then he says, what happens next? And it ruined my weekend. I thought about it all throughout college. This rando in the bathroom has no idea that I'm standing here preaching right now. He has no idea, but he's faithful. He's faithful. We have the power of the gospel in our tongue. Is that so shocking? That life came forth from the words of our father and he's given the gift to his children. He's still the author but he uses his kids as proxies. We don't need to be the hero. We just need to be faithful. Think about your daily rhythms. Who does the Lord have you rubbing elbows with? Who's the Lord have you in your life that needs good news? Who have you been praying for? Who do you think about and have a burden for where it's like, I just want them to know the Lord? What about the people you're like sick of, who annoy you? Have you considered 
the beauty of being able to call them brother and sister if they're not already. If they are brother and sister, reconciliation, pursue it. You need to pursue that. If they're not, have you considered the beauty of what it would mean to be called sister and brother? We can actually access the one who uses the power through us. We can speak to him real time. You can pray for guidance. You can be candid like, Lord, I heard this sermon about sharing the gospel, and I just don't know if I can do it well. He'll say, yeah, I get that a lot. You can ask him for wisdom. (laughs) Even more so, you have this book that's just very popular in the world today called the Bible. It has the scriptures and wisdom in it. And it's sufficient to grow you. Commit to that. Grow in it. Grow in the knowledge of the gospel. Be bold. You don't need to be a PhD. You don't need to be world-renowned. You have been equipped with a cup of water. Splash some people. I know people who have come to Christ walking down the street, listening to a man yell, repent. It's because power wasn't in him. The power of God is in the message. You have no idea what the Holy Spirit's been doing with people. Be faithful with them. Be faithful. Be intentional. Be the name in a testimony and find joy that you may never even know about it. Let me pray for us. Father, will we have a zeal in knowing that you have left us in this broken world to be outposts of your throne. You have created your church in this dying world to spread a message of life. Lord, we're still weak. We're still needy. The names that people are thinking of and praying through right now, Lord, would you hear them? Would you be softening their hearts, Lord? Would you be softening the hearts of those who are here right now that even though there may be fleshly created walls that you We'll remind them they've been torn down. That they will wield the gospel well. They'd be zealous for this way to salvation. This way to true hope, life, peace, comfort. True joy that comes through Christ and Christ alone. Bless this church, Lord. Bless the relationships Bless the random times with strangers met in grocery stores and bathrooms that your kingdom would be added to through our faithfulness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Week after week, we're reminded of this good news.